You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hey, Free City. My name's Ryan, and I serve here. And it's my honor this morning to be um, preaching. Um, I say morning because I have to think that's a safe assumption. You are, um, hopefully, you've invited me into your living room this morning. Hopefully, you've made me some pastries. Because um, one of the things I've been doing with the few families that gather is I've been baking my way through sallysbakingaddiction.com. If you haven't been, you need to go. Um, we've done coffee cake. We've done blueberry muffins with streusel. Yum. Uh, we've done lemon cake. This is all I'm going to talk about this whole time. Uh, last week, though, we hit the peak and we did donuts. Not baked donuts, which are just cupcakes glorified. I'm talking about deep fried, delicious, yeast risen donuts dipped in a chocolate ganache. If you're not jealous that you're not a part of my home church right now, I don't know what's wrong with you. Anyway, it's great to be here this morning. Um, this has been such a, a, a kind of a weird time. Uh, and, and the weirdness has been, and I think we all feel it, is that we're, we feel so disconnected and then we're kind of hopefully coming out, but then the news scares us to go back in. But one of the greatest things I've seen during this time is uh, the church actually being the definition of the church. And what I mean by that is this, um, the church shouldn't make sense. The church Absolutely. The, amount of, the, the, the different types of people that come together under one banner, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, doesn't make sense. Except for that last little phrase, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Ephesians actually talks about this whole um, picture, which is that the, the gospel of Jesus Christ sealed our place with God in heaven, has saved us from sin and destruction, and has given us a purpose for our life. And all of that happens before we even get, before we even, there we go, before we even get to, uh, now you do this. That is Ephesians 1 through 3, what God has done for you. And you have to think how the early church, similar to what you're doing now, came. They sat in, in homes, and I don't know if they had sectionals like we had, but they had something. They sat in homes, and they said, hey, gather around. Paul wrote us a letter. And as they're sitting down, they're, they're doing this in maybe a 30-minute to an hour-long chunk where they're going through this richness, these run-on sentences that Paul has that just say how good God's been to you, what God has done for you, that he has sealed you and saved you and done all of this for you. And it's not until about halfway through does Paul ever say, no, you need to do something with it. And you know what that thing he says, and it's in 4.1, he says this, now walk in a manner worthy of your calling. That calling is that Jesus has saved you and rescued you. He has rescued you from the pit of hell. He's rescued you from something, but he's also rescued you for something. And so it's super important, and we're kind of at the end of our time in Ephesians. We're in Ephesians chapter 6 this morning, but it's this constant reminder that we have that Ephesians is not this 
hey, plug and play here or here or here. It's a, because of what God has done, this is how I live. So this morning, as we jump into Ephesians 6, and we're going to do like the first half of it, um, I, I, I want us just to be so cognizant. And, and, and kind of our main point this morning is, what would your life look like if you were so confident in Ephesians 1 through 3? How would your relationships look like if it's not about how I can get better than the other person? How I can outdo, how I can outserve, how I can, how I can get them. What would your career look like if you weren't conniving, if you weren't, if you weren't trying to, you know, get behind your boss's back to do this or do that or, or rise in your career by any means necessary? What would your life look like if you were so confident in Jesus that he had you exactly where he's called you to be? So said another way, Christ has done all the hard work for us. He's done all that work of, of, of pain and anguish and, and strife. He died with that sin so that you and I, we walk in this. We walk in what he's called us to do. We've read this in Ephesians chapter 2, but it's worth reminding. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is so important. I've even underlined it. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not by a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, right? Listen, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God has prepared beforehand. If we stop right there, that is a synopsis of Ephesians 1-3. through and you ready for the rest of the chapter? That we should walk in them. There, there's the rest of the book right there. And so this morning, I, I, wanna, I, wanna, I just want to get us to this point, and we're going to look at relationships. And, and, and I want to get us to this point where we don't look at the what-ifs in our life. Because we're going to talk about jobs, and we're going to talk about family. And when we talk about jobs and family, we start to look at other people's what? Jobs and family. We start to look at other people's kids and we start to look at other people's, uh, other people's cars and careers and mon money and all that kind of thing. So we want to be so secure in where God has us. One of the favorite book, my favorite books that I've read in this past year is a book called The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom. Casey actually recommended it uh, about a year ago, maybe in a sermon. Um, and I saw these people like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, well, I've read it too. Then I went home and read it real quick. So... Definitely read it this time, guys. I even have quotes from the book. So, um, but there's this, there, there's this part of the book, and it's earlier in the book, and, and the Nazis are bombing Holland. And uh, there's kind of these night raids where these bombs coming down. And Corey, the main character uh, of the book, who actually writes the book, um, is, is walking, and she hears her sister in the kitchen, and she's going to meet her sister, and a bomb comes down, and shrapnel actually hits her and nearly kills her. And so when she's going into um, her sister, um, she says this. She says, Betsy, if I haven't, hadn't heard you in the kitchen, but Betsy put a finger to, on my mouth, she said, don't say it, Corey. There is no ifs in God's world and no, place, no places that are safer than other places. The center of his will is our only safety. Oh, Corey, let us pray that we may always know it. That quote has haunted me. It even haunts me later in the book because later in the story, and spoiler alert, the, the, the World War II happens. Um, and, and what Corey and Betsy do is, and their whole family is actually hide Jews 
in, in this cool looking, there's maps of it, this cool looking house that has secret rooms and all that kind of thing. And she hides the Jews in there, eventually gets caught. Her, her father is taken and eventually dies. Her sister uh, and her are taken to a concentration camp where her sister eventually dies. And Corey st- spends the rest of World War II in a concentration camp until she is actually released. And she's told she has to go to a place that she presents papers and then she can go. But every time she presents the papers, they say, you can't leave today because you have edema of the ankles. Whatever that means. She had it. And every day she goes back and back. Well, during that time, she's living in this room where these women are literally waiting to leave a concentration camp and they can't because they're too sick. And in this time, she has a Bible and she prays to God that God would show her who deserves this Bible. None of these women speak Dutch, but they're finding a way to communicate through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Till finally, one day she goes up And she has racing in her mind, what if Betsy was here? What if if my sister was here? Or what if my dad was here with me? Then this would all go wrong. We'd probably be dead by now. She's worrying and has anxiety ridden, much like we do on a daily basis. What if, what if? But here's what Corey says. There are no ifs in God's kingdom. I could hear her soft voice saying it, her soft voice being her sister, His timing is perfect. His will is our hiding place. Lord Jesus, keep me in your will. Don't let me go mad by poking about outside of it. It is so important as we talk about family and work that we have a mindset of Ephesians 2, that God has done all the hard work and we walk in it. And that walking is in the will, the place that we are in. God has given us grace to bear this moment. How do you know that you're prepared to handle COVID-19 and everything that happens after it? Because God has you here. So as we, we, we um, go through Ephesians 6, I, 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 well, you might be thinking, what the heck does this have anything to do with this? We'll find out um, together. But I want to say we're going to kind of do this in three different ways. The first one is we want to say God wants to restore our families. The second point is God wants to restore our work. And then finally, we're going we're gonna to end where we sample and then we'll do a lot of it next week. But um, this is where our battle lies. We want to know where our battle actually lies. So let's pray and let's dive in. God, I just... Um, God, I'm just reminded of the story in the hiding place where Corey's dad's teaching her about grace. And he says, when do I give you your ticket for the train? She says, when I'm ready to go on it. And he says, that's when God's grace comes. So God, as as we are in this moment right now, thinking about uh, family and work and the reality of the spiritual warfare that is active and actively trying to destroy Christian families and work, that you would give us the grace for this moment, that as we read through your word, your living and active word, 
that our hearts would be transformed into knowing more and more about you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All righty. So um, we're going to talk about family. So if you've been tracking with us for a while, we just did um, three weeks on uh, marriage. And that all kind of stemmed off of, which was, I believe, what, 22 through 31? Three? Sure, 33. There's not somebody behind this camera telling me what it was. Um, And then right before it, we kind of took the last line, which is 21, which was, um, and out of reverence for Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, Um, which is an instruction of how that we, and from before, and Casey went into it last week, Literally click the video before mine. It'll be on there. But uh, that's how we, be, we, instead of getting drunk with wine, we are filled with the Spirit. And then it explains all of that. And the last point on that is that we are um, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then that affects everything else. So I say that to say we did, we did three weeks on marriage, and now we're going to talk about work and family. So for the next six weeks, we're going to be, um, that was a joke. I just did that to set up that joke. Anyway, no, but it's important that we're talking about through submitting to one another. And so Paul really wants to talk about relationships here. And so, and he's kind of progressively going through it, right? First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes the baby. And then dad has to get a job because he can't afford that baby, right? So that's kind of where we're going with this. And, and so, um, so we, we, we dove deep into kind of this, the real meaning of marriage and, and what, what that does and prepares our hearts for eternity. And then Paul turns in six to, um, to family. And he has instructions for two sets of people, one children and the other parents. And, and so for the children, we're going to talk about that theirs and ours is to honor and obey like Jesus did. And for parents is to set up a loving discipline and instruction system like God does, right? I feel like I'm a little uniquely qualified to preach this passage because I am a son, I'm a dad, I got three kids at home, and then I have one on the way, which is why. Uh, Then I'm I'm a worker, I have a boss, but I'm also a boss, Not, not like, like, I'm, I'm actually a supervisor. Like, I'm not, I am a boss, you know, but I'm saying, but like, anyway, <laughs> too many jokes. All right. Uh, but so, and, and this is like life relationships. And so we're all kind of uniquely qualified. I'm also qualified last week because I'm a husband. So anyway, and we're breathing. But this isn't just for children um, or parents. This is for those preparing to be uh, parents, right? And, and if you are alive, then you have some sort of parents. And if you don't have a great relationship, you haven't talked to your parents in years, then uh, look around the room you're in. You probably have some spiritual parents or brothers and sisters. There, there is some deep-seated, like, God wants to set up amazing authority systems that actually add blessing to our lives. And we're going to talk about that. So first, children. We're going to be in 6, 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for it is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. So the responsibility of the children here is to obey their parents. And that's the direction from Paul. And then Paul quotes a commandment where he says, honor your father and mother. So honor and obey. Those are kind of the two things. 
So obeying, we kind of get, like, do what they say. Honor your father and mother. That's, that's a little bit different. You know, like, it's not necessarily just obey, but the Bible says both, so you need to do both. Honor literally means, like, the, the root word there, it means to, like, add weight to what they say. Consider it. Um, one of the things that I've done as an adult is I've made a lot of bad choices. And I have parents who um, were young, married, and had kids and, and made similar choices to where I talk to them about the choices I make and they say, you probably shouldn't do that. And I always do this like, cause I, I just have this stubborn streak like that's 12, 30 miles long, whatever, however old I am, that's how long it is. But I just throw up, whatever, you guys don't know what you're talking about. And then, okay, I'm not telling my mom there's a video out there with me saying this, just between us. My mom's typically right. And this kills me. This kills me that typically the thing that my mom says, like, hey, Ryan, you probably shouldn't have done that. It's so right. It is so, like, like dead on. Spiritual authority is typically right. And I, I, I say that. I, I have men that are, that are older than me that, 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 that speak. I let speak into my life, and I, I hear from them as spiritual fathers. They say the same things to me, and they're like, hey, you probably shouldn't do that. They're typically right. You see, God has set up this system in the Bible that says that there is spiritual authority and that spiritual authority is able to, if you honor and obey it, it's able to give you life, right? What is the promise? There's two parts of the promise, that it will go well with you and that you will live long in the land. Now, I don't mean that there's a, a definite point to how long you will live in the long, uh, long you will live in the land, but the well with you, that's true. You know, how I don't know there's a definite point is because Jesus exemplified this and, and didn't live past like 33, 34 years old. But there's people that fulfill this. But that God will take care of you. God has good for you. And living long in the land is not just Israel right now. It's, it's kind of the universe that God has expanded. Like there's, there's blood on the doorposts of the universe now that God has allowed us to enter in. So that could mean live long with Him for all eternity. There is a promise in here. Being obedient and honoring your parents is one of the most difficult things you can do. It will cause a true battle of your will. But here's the thing. The best way to do it, and we'll visit this phrase often in this passage, is if you look at what it says, it says, obey your parents in the Lord. Remember, this whole passage is telling us how to walk in the Spirit. That we are constantly living in this, in this world, in this realm where God is feeding into us his sanctification. That He literally has us in His hand. As we meditate and repent and confess and meditate and repent and confess, God is shaping us into being more like Him. There is no better place than in that. And so when, when, um, when Paul's saying, honor your father and mother in the Lord, it's saying, walk in the Spirit here. Be filled with the Spirit so that you may understand what it is like to submit to authority. Because we're ultimately doing this like Jesus did. And how Jesus did it, and he said it often in the Gospels, is I only do what I see God doing first. Paul says elsewhere that he was obedient even to death, but death on a cross. 
You see, the, the, the point of, of, of the gospel is that God has the best intention for his children, but you and I aren't counted as his children until his child died for us. The point of the gospel is that Jesus made, us, made a way for us to do exactly what he did, which is honor the Father and obey the Father. And God, I don't know why he does it, but sets up these people in our lives who literally spend years and years nurturing us to the best of their abilities. And we're going to talk about the parent's responsibility, but some people don't live up to that parent's responsibility. But God has us. And in this moment, if you are called a child of God, he actually, he has you. He is your father. So we have this objection, but my parents aren't Christian, Ryan. You don't understand. You don't understand the things I went through with my parents. You're right. I don't. Um, and and I, I'm going to say a few things that are, are more general to that point. But here's what I have to say. If there's some deep-rooted hurt on any of these points, I, I just want, like, look at the people that you're sitting in the living room with. That's, the, the, I, I, I can talk generally into a, a camera to talk to your living rooms and, and I can try to do the best I can and I ask the Spirit of God to help me, but I might miss something. And so, so you're right. But one of the best things that Christians can do is confess. If your parents aren't Christians and you have this struggle that you can't even like, think about them or look at them without, them, uh, without, without having this hate and anger... That's something to confess. If that's not you, maybe that's the extreme case. If that's not you, but, but you have this thing, but you don't know my parents, Ryan. I probably know your parents. <laughs> I will say that. I got parents like that. They don't always sound the, the best, and maybe they're not this or that, and I don't always agree with them. Uh, there's something amazing what God does, and, and, and Paul and Romans says it, and there's other places. Um, but it's, uh, and Jesus even talks about it, about obeying the rulers of the world. And, and, and it said pretty much plainly throughout the Bible that God sets up authority. Paul talks about that, about empire, emperors that were killing Christians and literally trying to squash the greatest movement the world's ever known. Bigger than Justin Bieber. Good joke? No? Okay. But literally, Paul talks about that. And, and then he says that, that there's no authority that is not set up by God. And so that's maybe a tough pill to swallow. But understand there is a blessing in that, that God uses his sovereign grace to get to the hearts of people. And sometimes it's through uh, not great people, but God still uses them because God is God. And sometimes it's through generous and compassionate people. But the key is, once again, in the Lord. We're being led by the Spirit in the Lord. We have these hurts and we have these pains and we're having struggle honoring obeying. Confess, repent, and pray. Keep in the will of God. So as we transition there, uh, now we're, we're going to look at the parents. And so uh, you kind of can do this uh, and, and you think, and it sometimes works, like if you looked at marriage 
you'd see a few verses about uh, the wives and then a ton of verses about the husbands. And you would rightfully say that there's more weight on the leader in that relationship, right? And there is. And so you can do the same thing here, except you got to think. So like there is uh, three verses about um, kids, but one of it's just like explaining that Paul's not getting this out of thin air. It's from a commandment. And then there's a parentheses, which I don't even think they had parentheses back writing in Greek, but somehow that got there. And then, um, and then there's like the, the, the one line to fathers. I will say this, as we get into this, there's so much weight on fathers because we have to, in all times, act as God does. And if you don't, like, if you're a dad or a man or anything like, and you don't feel like a little like, oh, I don't think I can do that. Great. You need to feel that, right? Because now we're being led by God. So look at Ephesians chapter six, verse four. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The discipline and instruction of the Lord. The weight is on the parents to set up, like God, a loving discipline for their children. So I'm a dad. I'm a dad who has a job that I work long hours, and sometimes I come home. Often I come home. Every day I pretty much come home. But when I come home, I'm, I'm sometimes tired because like, I have about 20 people under me that report to me. And typically they have problems. And those problems come to my desk about all sorts of things. And then I help work on the floor and then I do this and I do that and I come home and I'm tired and I love cooking and so I go to cook. And then sometimes my kids have issues, right? If your dads are like, yeah, they do. And sometimes my sinful reaction is to push it away and say, hey, I deserve space. Leave me alone. Hey guys, go play with the dog. Dog wants to see me too, right? He's like literally the worst dog ever. His name's Andy Reid though, and we didn't have him until the Chiefs won the Super Bowl, the Chiefs won the Super Bowl after we got him in July, so you're welcome. Just saying. Um, got to get a new dog next year. It's going to happen. Um, no, you feel like that weight to set up a loving discipline system and an instruction system. Right? And this weight is all over the Bible. One of the best places to look at this is if you look in Hebrews chapter 12. And we're going to go through it. We're going to just kind of highlight it here. But here, starting in verse 3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. Right? He's talking about God here and Jesus enduring that. But sometimes you endure pain and sinfulness from your kids right? Then jump down to verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Do not be weary when reproved by him. For the the Lord disciplines the ones who he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. And then jump down to verse 10. For they, the parents, disciplined us for a short time and it seemed best to them but he God disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness 
For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. The picture here is of a parent or a father that has reason behind their discipline just like God, or of a father or a parent who has a vision for raising their kids. They want to see them go somewhere like God. And of a father or a parent who has patience and endures hostility and sin and pain and does not grow weary or faint-hearted. You see, the work of a, of a parent is exhausting. My wife, God love her. She's amazing. She's like seven months pregnant right now and it's hot outside. And every time she takes the kids outside, she's super hot. Plus she has a crazy dog and three crazy kids. And she's exhausted. But that woman has more energy than I can ever dream of. Because those times when I come home, she's like, all right, let's go. We're going to do something. She makes me get out and walk. Oh, ridiculous. You see, parents' job is never ending, and it's, it's hard. And then sometimes, and by sometimes, I mean days that end in Y, there's discipline. Because you're, inevitably, when you say, all right, they're, they're angels right now. Can you guys go play by yourselves? I'm going to go over here. And then you turn your back. And then you hear tears. You literally, not the crying, you hear the tears hit the floor. Drop, drop. And then they say the worst words ever. He hit me. You say, why? We had moments. We were going to do this. We just watched Mr. Rogers. He was calm. You were calm. We turn off the TV. You go nuts. A parent who loves their child so much that their discipline is for a purpose. You see, at times when you get so anxious, you just want to lash out and you want to say, no, stop it. I'm, you know, stop talking because I've got a headache or whatever. But rather how God disciplines and how God sets up his instruction system is through patience and purpose. God's discipline is growing you. Like a, 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 a ceramic pot in the fire, it hurts for a little bit, but it grows you and solidifies you as his. Your job as a parent is to present your child the real Christ, the real Christ that died for those sins that they, they so presently have, and that one day they'll have this, this, this repentant heart, but right now it's not there. Your job is to present them the, the, the real, live, active Christ. This is hard. This is hard because the, in order to present them the real, live, active Christ, you yourselves have to know the real, live, active Christ on an active and real basis. You yourselves have to be preaching the gospel to your heart. Your job as a parent is to be faithful to the gospel. Not proud, not right all the time, but faithful to the gospel. Now, I would, be, I would be so out of line right now if I said that this passage was purely just about parents in general. There's a reason that word is, uh, fathers is there. Just as much as there's a reason uh, in the few verses uh, in, at the end of chapter 5 that husbands is there. 
Paul mentions fathers for a reason, and we as fathers need to become preachers of the gospel in our homes. Um, when I was, uh, I, I can't, I've been thinking about this story all week, and I just can't remember how old I, I was. Either in like fifth or sixth grade, and uh, it was this, it was summertime, and my dad went to a men's conference over the weekend. And he came back and on Sunday, he came back Saturday night and then Sunday we went to church. And I remember our, our pastor at the time, he was preaching and he was preaching about what the men's conference was about and kind of as a recap. And, and towards the end of it, as everybody was sitting, my dad looks at the family down the row and he says, hey, you guys need to, we need to leave. And I thought something was wrong and all that kind of stuff. And we get into the lobby of the church and, and we're standing there about to leave for the day. And my dad just starts breaking down. And he looks at, and I have two older brothers, so there's three boys. And he looks at all of us, and he says, my dad was never around when I was a kid. And I might have faults, and I have issues that God is working on, but I'll never be that. That was probably a good uh, five to seven years before I even could recognize Christ for myself. And even after that, I was still wrestling through past sins and, and, and the fact that I could literally walk around Lawrence and people would know me for the, the, the life I used to have. And I, I, I knew Jesus, but then as I, I became this kind of hard proud person that, that acted like he knew everything and just kind of pushed it away. And then I remember that time when I was 10 or 12 years old and my dad broke down in tears and told his sons, the people who have to make him look like Superman. He looked at me and said, I'm not Superman, but God is. What a gift, fathers, you can give to your children, but to cry in front of them about the beauty of God in your life. What a gift it would be. I remember a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, it was probably more like months ago, but I don't know time, but I, I remember my son, and this was school, so it was a while ago, but he, he, he got sent home with a note that he was pushing another kid. And I could have been proud and always right and said, you know what, you don't push other kids. But instead, what I did is I said, you don't push other kids because I want you to be better than I was. And when I was in fourth grade, there was a kid that moved from Africa named Eric. And he, he, he had an accent and nobody wanted to play with him. And I was so insecure that I went along with the other boys, which pushed him down in the playground. And one day I pushed, I pushed him down and he looks at me and he goes off crying, calls me a jerk. And the next day he moved. And I don't even know where Eric is anymore. You see, God has given men this message that says you don't have to be perfect. You just need to be repentant. And fathers, like God has done over and over again for you, who has lovingly disciplined you and instructed you in his ways, do the same for your kids. If you say, well, Ryan, I'm not a gospel expert. I can't preach. I can't get all animated like you do and tell the funny jokes because I am really funny. But I can't do that. But here's the thing. 
You know the best way to get good at something is practice. I, I worked for 12 years as a pastor or as a, as, a, as a fundraiser and a church planner and things like that. And then I needed to get a job that paid money. I knew nothing about business. And so you know what I did? I volunteered to be the trainer at work because I had to learn that real quick. If you want to know the gospel, the best way is to preach it to your kids. If you want to learn the gospel, that is just, that's, that's free. I don't know what we're doing anymore. We need to be in a place, all of us, children, parents, we need to be in a place where we are so secure in the moment that God has us because God has us. Not that we know the answers and that's why we're secure or we have everything together and that's why we're sure, but that God has us now. That we can be vulnerable, we can be repentant, we can be confessing. I'm going to work through uh, the second part of, of chapter six, which is the work. Before we get into this, I, I want to do, and I think I'm going to have to be quick, but I want to do, there's some important work that we need to do. There, there's a word right at the beginning of verse five, and it says bond servants. If you have any older translation than probably 10 years ago, it's probably gonna say the word slave, servant, something like that. And it's important that we look at this word, um, and it's the Greek word um, doulos, doulos, whatever. I got a C in Greek, um, but it's close enough. Uh, it's important that we look at that because that that is a general word. It's not a specific word for a type of, of slave or servant or bond servant, but it, it, it is widely translated as the word slave. And, and it needs to be mentioned right here that people who took this passage wrong oppressed people with this passage. It needs to be noted, but it also needs to be noted. And I love this about the Bible um, it is that the apostles, when speaking of themselves, use this term doulos. They are bondservants of Christ. You might have heard that, but in the, 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 the form, slaves obey your masters, that's not great, but I'm a slave to Christ. Oh, I get it. In, in fact, it, it's so important to note here that the, the gospel for the vast majority of history has been on the side and is on the side of the, um, the subject, not the ruler. It isn't the side of power necessarily in the way we think of it. Jesus came as a Jewish baby, not as a Roman emperor. He was killed by that Roman empire, but he died a Jewish rabbi. Jesus had an army of angels ready, ready at any, any moment to fight for him, but instead he, he healed and fulfilled the word of Isaiah, which is the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me to preach good news, to preach freedom, to preach freedom to the captives, that the bondage would be broken in him. So 
Society has this authoritarian and subservient roles, but with God, he holds no partiality. And he actually says that directly here. Here in Ephesians, but more directly in um, Philemon, right? Paul has this charge to the church and really uh, like to, to, to men and, and, sl- and slave owners, let's, we can call them what they are, to treat bondservants, servants, and slaves as brothers in Christ. Paul writing and directing this part of the letter to bondservants, to slaves, said much about where those, uh, those people were in the church. He's, he's writing this not that somebody might tell them. He's actually writing them because they're in the room where the letters read. Just like children are in the room where the letters are read. Just like wives are in the room where the letters read. Super important that we know that. But right now, you and I perceive life through a matter of choices. Some of you have chosen where to go to school. You're at KU, you're, you know, Baker or whatever. We choose our spouse. We live in a world where we can choose our kids. We choose our education. We choose our job. But for a vast majority of human history, there was no choice. Nobody had a choice in this. How do you know you're a carpenter? Because your dad's a carpenter. How do you know that you're going to marry this girl? Well, Years ago, I lost a bet, right? How do you know that that's the girl you're going to marry? Well, I've been herding sheep for seven years, literally in the Bible, right? How do you know that you get the right girl? Well, I got to do it another seven years, right? There's no, not a lot of choice in this. And so you and I have choices, which is, could be grace of God. But really, our, our, our concern isn't how did we get here? Because it's, it's really, we're going to switch over to now that I'm here, how do I act? So we're going to look at our jobs with a heart. With that heart, we're going to look at this next instruction. Chapter 6, verse 5. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's a bondservant or he's free. There's not a ton of work to be doing on the instructions of this passage itself. It's, it actually goes with the, with the translation. It goes super straight to the heart of what it is. That there's instructions are pretty clear. Obey your earthly masters or your boss. And we're going to actually, so as we talked about the historical context, how do we look at it today? And we're going to look at worker and boss relationships because this is how do we work. But further instructions that Paul gives goes to the heart of Christian work. And so if you look at more specifically 5 through 7, obey your earthly masters. That's the command. But how do we do it? We do it with fear and trembling. A reverence for God. Right? We do it with fear and trembling. A reverence for God. With a sincere heart. That means we do it with honesty. As you would Christ, not by way of eye service as a people pleasers. Right? We're not, we're not looking just to do it when somebody's around. We're not looking to make a good show for ourselves. But as bond servants of Christ, once again, he identifies them as you're not working for your, 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 your boss. You're working for Christ. Doing the will of God from the heart. Sincerity again. Rendering services with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. So, does this describe a 2020 view of corporate America where you serve God above man 
where you aren't sucking up, where you aren't lying to get ahead, where no matter what your boss is doing, you serve them as you would Christ? It is an amazing thing to be so confident and so secure in the Lord that it doesn't matter the money you make. It doesn't matter if you're the one who got credit for the idea, if you know it all, or if you get ahead. But rather, that in this moment, you are serving God. Can you say that about how you view your work? That everything you do is in service to God. Just think of the last day you worked. Can you say that about the last hour of your job, right? Most of us stop work on Thursday. Hey, we're getting out of here early. If I, if I just do this, maybe I could, right? You see, there's a lot of work that needs to be done of how do we be Christians at work. And so here's what God lays out. Here's those general principles. And then there's a promise that God's going to take care of it. Ephesians 6 verse 8. See, look at this. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, that he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or he is free. So you're saying, great, karma's real. All I got to do is do good. No, this isn't manipulation. Remember, we're still walking in the Spirit. Like with children that obey God's will and it go well with them, such as if you work as if you're working for Christ, God will take care of you. This isn't a way to say manipulating. It's like, hey, I've been changed. And like a kid who, who knows they're accepted by their dad, Sometimes I just want to show them the artwork I did at school. Right? And by somebody who's been transformed, you want to treat others well because you know that the kindness of the Lord is what brought you to repentance. And if you are serving with all your might, yeah, you might get ahead. Yeah, that might be a good plan to the top. But if it's not, if you are serving with all your might for the Lord right in this moment, then God says He has you. And there is nothing compared to that. Oh, that we would believe that. That if God has you, that's all that matters. God takes care of His children His way. And that's better than any faint praise from any CEO. And so the instruction to bosses or masters is to do the same. Right? Do the same. Work as if you're working for God. That's pretty clear. But then here, once again, the weight comes on them. So both of master and servant have instructions to, um, to work as to work for Christ. But now those who are in leadership have a little bit more, right? Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Stop thinking that you're something special just because you have a better title. I remember when I first wanted to preach and I was about 17 or 18 years old and I felt the call to be a pastor and I remember sitting there under my youth pastor who was 
um, who was one of the greatest men of God that I know because he was so gentle and kind and actually accepted me when actually none of the church kids would. And he helped me a lot get over some addictions and things like that. But then when I said, hey, I think I'm ready to preach, he asked me, why do you think you're ready to preach? I said, well, you have me leading this middle school small group right now. And every time I talk to them, I feel like I have to dumb it down to them. I'm ready to get up there and just say whatever I want and then other people have to figure it out. Hey, let me preach for a while. One of my professors in college uh, in, in my preaching class used to say this all the time to me. He says, if you want to be the greatest preacher in the world, preach to everyone like they're in sixth grade. Why? Because the gospel is accessible. And I think sometimes it's comforting. Not that you're with a pastor who doesn't take care with the passage and, and don't hear that. But sometimes I, I'm not a native Greek speaker. Casey, not the greatest Greek speaker in the world, Hebrew, anything like that. But there is a care and a pastoral heart that comes with the preaching at Free City. I'm not even talking about myself right now. That the biggest thing is that we connect the gospel to people. That's our biggest mission, right? What is the vision of Free City? It's to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't have it written. I probably got some of it wrong. To everybody though, right? Right? We proclaim. As a boss, you're not anything special because you have a better title. You're not anything special because you make more money. You, as the Bible says, have no differentiation in heaven. God looks at the, the slave and the free the same. He looks at the Jew and the Greek the same. The man and the woman the same. As sinners who Jesus rescued. And what a great transition to talk about the next point. In this next section, we're going we're gonna to end with this, is where does our battle lie? Our battle lies, and if we look in Ephesians 10, or 6.10, verses 12, he says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces and the evil in the heavenly places. We are so used to this identity game that the world wants to play. It is the scheme of the devil to break up relationships, to pit brother against brother, husband against wife, son against father, to have an uprising, to throw things around that we would be angry. At the end of The Hiding Place, uh, Corey Ten Boom, after facing the imprisonment of her family and friends, after facing a concentration camp and the eventual death of her father and her sisters, her sister, she returns to Holland. And she, she kept telling a story that kind of kept her going through it, which was her sister had this vision 
of this camp that they would open. And, and it, I'm not going to spoil it for you. There's details about the sister's vision that were so dead on that it's only a vision from God. And so she starts telling this story and eventually somebody says, hey, that, 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 that place that you described, I actually own that house and, and I actually think I should give it to you. Like the details, so like the shutters look a certain way. Like that's how crazy the detail is. And so what Corey does is she opens this camp. And this camp is for those that need healing from the war. But not like you think. It's not healing from the people that she was in the concentration camp with as a prisoner. No, no, no. It's the Dutch nationals who turned against their brother and sided with the Nazis. It's the concentration camp prison guards who had to do unspeakable things to other humans that at this point are not, they're not welcome in normal society. Why did she do this? Because our battle is not against flesh and blood. So I said before that you might have had hurt from your parents. Even, even as we talked about marriage the past few weeks, you might have had hurt from that. You might look at the world that we live in and see racism and nationalism and sexism and, 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 and riots and, and protests and, and, and people disguising themselves as protesters to start riots. And you might want to get angry and start to put a name with those people and say, if this person only didn't exist. But what we're really seeing is this, is the devil is doing the same thing he's always done. Two quick points about Ephesians chapter, uh, chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. One, look at that verse 10. The, the wordplay is so amazing that we are to be strong in the strength of his might. Just let's leave it up there. You and I, as we walk in the Spirit... The strength that we pull from and we're strong in is God's strength. You, as a child, a, a, a parent, a worker, or a boss, over and over again says, in the Lord, in the Lord, in the Lord, because God is calling us to be in Him. And in this moment, He has the grace for this moment. And in the next moment, He has the grace for the next moment. but that you and I would rely on that strength in that moment. Two, we put on God in his strength, look at verse 11, to stand against the schemes of the devil. Those schemes are super clear. It's to kill, steal, and destroy, in particular, relationships. God, is, or God has come to give us life and life abundantly, and that plays out in relationships, right? There is a dichotomy here. There's a fight, right? Dark side, light side, whatever. We're fighting this. And the fact of the matter is, God has come to reconcile. The last words of the Old Testament before a long, dark period is that. 
father's hearts would be turned back to the son and the sons back to the father. And then Jesus comes and then he paves a way for it. And then he makes a way that you and I can be seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty for all eternity. And then he says, but until they're here with us at all times, I have work for them that I actually created them to do. And then he sends us off to do it, that we walk in a manner worthy of the calling in his strength. And then we get in around people and those people hurt us. And in the strength of God, we cry out, God, you have won this battle. On the cross, Jesus defeated sin and death. It's like an addict. And that addict... Once they know that they can be free from the addiction, but they have to walk it out and they see things around them and they have to remind themselves, no, 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 no. This is not who you are. And in the strength of God, you and I stand up against the fight. In everything we do in the strength of Jesus, that we would not tear down people, but fight back the advancement of the devil. The devil. Wow. Bad time for that. I want to pray for us, but before we do that, I completely missed it. Ethan's going to kill me. Um, Ethan got a haircut, by the way. Let's all talk about that, but not right now. But um, what's going to happen is in the next week, as as we're really looking at how do we be Christians at work, um, there's going to be these new groups that are going to pop up. And and they're groups specifically geared around um, the type of work you do. So if you're in the creative media profession, there's other people that you can talk with and and be held accountable with. Then if you're like me and I work in a warehouse and and I'm in leadership and things like that, we can put people together with that. If you're in the medical field and and all that kind of stuff. And so in the next week, I believe there's going to be a survey. Um, If you would fill that out, what we really want to do is we want to be better at being Christians all the time. In the strength of God, we want to be better at that. Because sometimes we can just get so bogged down in the gossip and the slander in the, in the, in the uh, whatever we do to advance. So Free City, uh, let's pray um, now. God, we thank you so much for this time. God, I just thank you that you have saved us. That we live in a, a, a post-Ephesians 3 reality. That you have done all this for us and now we walk in it. So God, would you show us how that we can confess, we can repent, and we can pray. How we can hold fast to one another, hold each other accountable, and how we can do this all in your strength. And that we are, are actively fighting against the advancement of the enemy and not each other. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for all this. Free City, hey, this has been fun. 
like, I think in a few weeks we're going to see each other. I love you all. Thanks. Bye.